You're listening to Keynotes, a Kappa Kappa Gamma podcast featuring Alumni Achievement Award recipients. Get ready to hear from five amazing women about their careers, their Kappa membership, and advice they have to offer to other women looking to make their mark on the world. I'm your host, JJ Wales, a member of Beta New Chapter at Ohio State University and a former fraternity president. I'm excited to share my conversation with these women who are from five different chapters and five different schools, but they have more in common. They are inspiring, fun, dedicated, hardworking, and unbelievably accomplished. Each has made such a significant contribution in her chosen field, has great respect and admiration for her Kappa membership, and is so willing to share her experience with us. Today, I'm talking with Natasha Davison. She's a member of Epsilon Epsilon Chapter at Emory University. She is an award-winning television producer and Tony-nominated Broadway producer of The Prom. While continuing her lifelong love of the theater, she is involved in many, many aspects of great storytelling and entertainment. She even teaches a related course at the University of Texas. Here's my conversation with Natasha. Natasha, welcome. It's such a pleasure to meet you. And even if we have to do it virtually, it's better than not having the chance to talk at all. Congratulations on your award. Your accomplishments speak to why you are an Alumni Achievement Award recipient. Let's begin by talking about your career, then talk Kappa, and finally maybe offer some advice to these Kappas who are listening through a variety of questions I have. So does that sound okay? That sounds wonderful, and I'm delighted to be here speaking with you. Good, wonderful, let's get started. I read that as a young girl, you dreamt of Broadway. You had the opportunity to see MAME, and your quote about this experience is just wonderful. And here it is. The first Broadway musical I saw was MAME, starring Angela Lansbury, B. Arthur, Seeing independent, strong women in charge of their own lives impacted my teenage self in ways I couldn't have imagined, end quote. You've had time to look back on that. Can you now see how these women impacted you and what were the lessons learned? Well, I do remember very vividly seeing that first musical production. It was actually the first musical I had ever seen. And it was the Broadway cast actually on tour and I saw it at the local theater in Atlanta, Georgia, where I grew up. And the power of that genre, of that kind of storytelling, really resonated and clearly resonates with a lot of people as musicals are among the most popular form of live stage entertainment. Mm -hmm. But then moreover, to see the central figure and the protagonist in that narrative be a female who really was living her own life on her own terms. And that also really impacted me growing up in the 60s in a sort of small bedroom community of Atlanta where you didn't see that. In my world, I didn't see that. So that was the first time that I had really seen a woman celebrated for her independence. And I was really drawn to that. And I was also really drawn to musical theater. And again, that was the first musical I had ever seen. I was a ballet a dancer taking ballet lessons as a little girl and also a violin player. I t played in a quartet with my school. It just was so powerful and it uh, stuck with me 
my whole life, even though my career took detours, I eventually came back to that thing that started at that performance. It was the perfect combination for you then and led you on your path. I think that's fantastic. It did. Your career has included writing, choreography, performer, producer, educator, artistic director. Obviously, you did these at various stages. Do you have a favorite among them? You know, it's something that I often hear from the students that I teach at University of Texas. And I would say no. Okay. The reason I say that is because, you know, your life is not linear. I would say you have little circles of experiences that will then interconnect with another one, and then you'll have another experience. And, you know, I've had moments that really were powerful for me in all of those different kinds of spheres that I was working within. But I don't think that I have a favorite. I would suggest that I had moments I remember very well. I remember when I won a scholarship in journalism for uh, Georgia State University. That was a wonderful moment for me because it was an area of study that I had never considered. Mm, uh Because I actually don't like the process of writing. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and I think that was because my background up until that point had been things like literature type classes. And Uh I just was not that kind of thinker. I was more of a real storyteller writer. And when I encountered my first journalism course, I was like, oh, okay, I can tell real stories and describe real scenarios. And I was very drawn to that. So I remember that very well. I also remember when I was very young, still in college, and I won a Georgia Associated Press Award. That was very, I think I was just 20 or 21 years old. And that was a really special moment. I remember getting the phone call that I had been cast in the national tour of the musical Cats. That was a very special moment. Uh I remember, you know, specific stories and things that I've been involved with. I remember when the prom was nominated for seven Tony nominations and being at the Tony's awards that year. But I don't think that I have a favorite. I can tell. You've enjoyed each one and each one has led to another one and you have just built these wonderful circles of experience, which is wonderful. They make you who you are, which is fantastic. Well, I think also that, you know, young people should expand the way they think about their careers because there's a lot of fluidity and there's a lot of interconnectivity. So even though my degree was in journalism, I always studied dance and singing and music and the arts had been a big part of my life. And I eventually ended up working in the arts although my career started as a television producer in Atlanta, Georgia at WSB TV. And then I also worked at CNN. When they first went on the air, I was there for day one and then ended up also in Boston working on nationally syndicated uh, magazine shows. And throughout all of that, I was also nurturing my love of dance and singing and performance. And so when I had an opportunity to pivot and uh, go to New York and really jump into that arena and see what happened, I did. For 15 years, I worked as a performer doing uh, musicals and also the television series Fame and commercials and industrials and things like that. And all of those experiences were really valuable. And I suppose on the surface of it, it looks like they're really kind of disparate, but they're not. You know, they, they were still kind of in the sphere of storytelling and performative in a way but just in different genres. One was news and storytelling on screen, 
you know, non-fictional stories. And then the other was the opposite on stage performing live. And I've loved that. And that, you know, led me to choreographing, which led me to University of Texas and teaching. And uh, I started producing developmental workshops at UT, which led me to be a member of organizations like NAMPT, which is the National Alliance of Musical Theater in New York. And they support and present new musicals that are ready to be developed or produced. And then that led me to producing Broadway shows in the Broadway League and teaching a different kind of course at UT, which is the business of entertainment. Sure. That sounds wonderful. I love the fact that you love each of the challenges and how they continue to build on one another. I think that's just outstanding. One of your purposes that I was told is to help shift the paradigms for the representation of women on stage and screen. And I'm wondering why you feel and believe that there's a need in this industry to do this. Well, I think, you know, back on myself growing up, we didn't see women on screen or stage very often that had agency. And the happy ending to say a golden era musical was getting married. And that is a wonderful and beautiful thing, and it should be celebrated, but it's not the only happy ending or, you know, major Rubicon to step over. There are others as well. So I think in the sphere that has the most resonance and reaches to the largest groups of people, which is entertainment, whether that's on screen or on stage, needs to represent all kinds of wonderful things that can happen in a, in a woman's life, not just that. Mm-hmm. So I think that's where I come from on that. And, you know, seeing the perspective through the lens of women, which is very different than what uh, someone who's not a, a woman might think. Mm-hmm. Right. It's not going to happen unless women are in leadership positions to drive and support those kinds of narratives. I agree. In building on that question, when I first started preparing for this interview, I watched the trailer for Halftime. Given my age, I love the premise that these senior citizens with big dreams to become an NBA hip-hop dance team could actually make it. I just loved that. Can you talk about the message of fighting ageism and generational bias to prove vitality and the wish to fulfill dreams? Well, I think it goes back to equal and vibrant and true representation of female perspectives as well. And in, in this case, ageism against uh, men and women, that you know, once you, you pass a certain age that you're no longer valuable, that you no longer have anything to offer our society or a business or some institution. And that story is also, it's a true story. It actually happened. There is a documentary upon which it was based And it was so wildly popular that the lead producer, who is Dory Berenstein, very experienced, multi-award winning producer, decided to develop it into a stage musical. It's still on hold to develop for Broadway and, you know, perhaps it will land on screen as well, which I think would be great. I think it's a fantastic story. It's a very real story. And uh, halftime really represents that narrative very well and passes along that message very well that there are no barriers to jumping into whatever activity or pursuit you might have a passion for. Why not? Why shouldn't you be dancing at age 80? Exactly. Why shouldn't you be performing? And it was very popular. The NBA team that launched that initiative had no idea it was a gimmick and it turned into be quite a big draw for audiences 
and had a wonderful message. It did. I, well, I, as I said, when I watched the trailer, I just found myself smiling and giggling. I just, I thought it was wonderful. I will be first in line for tickets, believe me. You and me both. <laughs> I'm, Good. I'm looking forward to uh, reviving that. We did do an out-of-town developmental string of performances at the Paper Mill Playhouse in New Jersey. And, you know, the hope is to continue to develop that show and bring it to Broadway and beyond. Of course, Broadway went dark when the coronavirus shuttered everything. And this impacted your Tony-nominated show, The Prom. It is such a timely show as we try to build a more inclusive society. How do you think the message of acceptance, advocacy, and inclusivity was being delivered and understood? I'm wondering if maybe the prom was a call to action in some way. Everyone that's been involved with the prom would hope so. It was a narrative which is played out over and over again across the country. I don't think a lot of people understand that. And that is why that story is still very important. And even more importantly, that it is seen by a broad audience. Mm -hmm. And I think we achieved that. You know, Ryan Murphy took the stage production and adapted it to a feature film. He was able to really gather a stellar cast of performers. And uh, he did a brilliant job of telling that story on screen. So we're all very proud of what uh, Ryan Murphy did with that. That's great. And you and Laura Snavely co-produced it, and she is also a Kappa, and I'm wondering how you two made the connection that you were both Kappas. So Laura, that's her first encounter with this sort of producing. I've been, of course, doing it for a long time and involved in this sphere for a long time. She and I actually met in dance class. in Austin, oh, Texas. Oh, cute. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, and we became friends. And she, I was teaching, um, I am still teaching the business of entertainment at University of Texas. And she requested to audit my class. And uh, so she started uh, coming to, to my class and listening to the industry speakers that came in and learning a little bit about how producing works. And she requested to try to uh, capitalize some funds for the prom, and she did so successfully. And so that's how she uh, came on to the team. Wonderful. Good. Well, now let's talk some more Kappa. You come from a long line of Kappas. So when you got to Emory, what did you find in the chapter which connected you to the Kappas and these wonderful women who are already in your life? So, you know, I had gone to boarding school in New England for four years, girls boarding school. I was used to being around very dynamic you know, female peers. Uh-huh, sure. And so when I arrived at Emory, it's a co-ed school, of course, and I, but I still had so much appreciation for and enjoyed engaging with the other like-minded women. And so I was drawn to joining the chapter at Emory. Were you fortunate enough to have some of these women in your life at that point, probably your mother, your grandmother, come for your initiation? My mother did not come to my initiation. It was a long time ago. I don't remember why, although there were a lot of us. <laughs> I have four, <laughs> four siblings, so I, there are the four girls and uh, I have a, a brother as well. But uh, I probably didn't. I'm not sure I even told her. You know, this is the days before computers and emails. Right. So she may or may not have, you know, I honestly don't remember. Did she? I don't think she did. No. 
you may not have even known what the date was. Back then, oftentimes the chapters kept it a surprise. So your mother might not have known. That is correct. As I recall, it was sort of steeped in mystery and ceremony and <clears throat> lots of white drapes and things like that. I think our I think our timing is very similar. Yeah, I, I remember well. Yeah, so, so that was uh, something. Exactly. When you reflect on your chapter days, is there a special event or a special memory you have which comes to mind when you think about your Kappa membership? You have stumped the celebrity panel. <laughs> it was so long ago. Uh, you know, honestly, my, my fondest memories are of fellowship. And one of the leaders in our chapter actually introduced me to the man who would eventually become my husband. So ah. I may have never have met him had it not been for Kappa Kappa Gamma. Oh, we love and it. I do, I do recall that with my mother and my aunt, who were both Kappas at Duke University, they had very fond memories of their sorority engagements when they were in college. And she didn't you know, push me to do it, but she had said that it was a wonderful way to meet people. It was a great way to uh, develop relationships with other like-minded young women. And so I, I really appreciated that. And I think I gained the same thing from that experience. That's terrific. And now you live in Austin, Texas. But you've lived all over in many different places, but now in Austin and being on the faculty at UT, the Kappa alumni in Austin are very active. Is there anything that you have connected with them on and have enjoyed doing? Now, I know everything's being done virtually at this point. We're all looking forward to being able to do face-to-face and get-togethers again, but is there anything special in the Austin alumni that you have either participated in or joined in or made good friends with? In terms of the Austin Alumni Association, I think that they've done a great job of bringing together the generations, Mm -hmm, honestly. mm Um, I'm very interested in engaging with young women, older women, women my own age, and from very diverse backgrounds and with different kinds of careers. Uh, I enjoy that. And the only time I think I've ever really engaged with that kind of group was through the Kappa alumni group. So they have done a great job of having, you know, get togethers. Uh, I think unfortunately, and especially with so many, especially in the younger generation, working full time, I think that the kinds of events where you can really get a great turnout has probably changed over the decades, but uh, they seem to have adapted and had events that more people can get to. That's wonderful. That's terrific. And I'm sure that any interaction that you might have with the chapter is also really fun for you, a whole nother age group. Yeah, I, I enjoy mentoring young people. Good and sharing what I know, and they can take it or leave it. (laughs) But, you know, I can only speak to myself. And then also, you know, the other thing to consider is what I was encountering when I was entering these various industries is not the same as it is now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But it's something I'm cognizant of as I currently work in the industry. What does someone now need to prepare for to enter the world of whatever it is, entertainment in, you know, 2021? Absolutely. Well, and mentoring takes a very special person to do that. So thank you for being willing to do it. I'm hoping that this next portion will be fun. Mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you to finish a statement by filling in the blank. Uh-oh. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, not my forte, but okay. <laughs> no, it's, it's all fun. 
the fun in my job is seeing lots of live entertainment. More women should be in leadership positions. What is more important to you today than it was 10 years ago? Standing up for what's right, always. Especially true today, I think, also. Especially true today. Like, you can't be a silent observer mm-hmm. to things that are wrong. You have to, you can't be a passive bystander. I think you have to be an active upstander. I agree. And the last one is, someday I'll, what will you do? What Or have, or whatever. Someday I'll blank. Someday I'll go on a vacation. (laughs) 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 I actually really enjoy my work so much, and I I wish that upon all Kappas. I enjoy my work. That doesn't mean it's not without challenges. Anything worth doing, as Teddy Roosevelt has said, is uh, worthy and will be difficult. Well, and I think you like the challenges. I I can see that and I can hear that in what you're saying. And building on what you just said, Research tells us that hobbies are good things to have for diversions and distractions, and this is especially true for busy women. Do you have any hobbies, or what what might you do in your free moments? Hmm, free moments. It's sort of like someone was asking me about weekends, and in uh-huh. the, the words of the Dowager Countess of Downton Abbey, of which I'm a great fan, what is a weekend? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, you know, honestly, the world these days is 24-7, at least in my world, so I work a lot on the weekends, but I enjoy it, and I, I'm, you know, eager to finish projects. So now I've forgotten what you just asked me. What was do, it? Do you, have any, do you have any hobbies, or what oh, you might hobbies. do? Uh-huh. I would probably say... I sometimes have side activities that I will eagerly and enthusiastically pursue. I had a neighbor, for example, whose little girl had gotten ill and loved to read and had built one of those little libraries Uh where you share books. Mm -hmm. And so I took her little library and I hand painted it and I decorated it of sort of a craft thing, which is honestly, I wouldn't call it a hobby because I just did it the one time, but I I did have Uh fun. So I usually have to have a reason. So I have taken on activities like that from time to time, which are a wonderful distraction Mm -hmm. and feel really good to do something for someone. But I don't have any sort of specific hobby like gardening or I am working on personal projects. So I guess that would be a hobby. Sure. I'm documenting and researching uh, my paternal grandmother who had a very interesting life and I'm hoping to turn that into a narrative. Obviously your moments are filled up with various either work projects or personal projects and that's what we were looking for. That's super. Yes. And my daughter, my older daughter is getting married. So oh, wow. that's, I would say that's my biggest side activity right now is planning a wedding right, uh, for post-COVID. Sure. Yes, for sure. Well, every career has its ups and downs, and I'm wondering what you feel like you've learned from the highs and lows. Well, I think it's always wonderful to have achieved a goal. The goals that I've achieved have always come with a lot of work, and so to see your work pay off is is really wonderful. Uh, You know, sometimes uh, I'll hear from students, I'm doing this little project, I'm doing that little project, it doesn't seem to be going anywhere. And I'm like, I think you need to look at it differently. What are you learning from that? experience Mm -hmm. and how will that knowledge come around full circle one day and serve you in another scenario you can't predict that so i often advise uh, young people to one 
hold themselves to the standard to which they aspire. Again, hold themselves to the standard to which they aspire Mm -hmm. in any activity that you have. And don't discount the value of early career or small projects because that's a great place to try, succeed, and try and fail. You're gonna learn a lot from that. So I would say that, again, in things that didn't succeed, as long as you learned from them, then it was, uh, you have gotten something out of it. And when you succeed and you've worked hard for that success, that's also a valuable lesson there. Sure, absolutely. And then you just move on to the next. Right, and then, you know, I think that failures are often the thing that propels you towards your next opportunity. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When I was working on a national magazine show in Boston, our host was hired away by one of the networks and then they shut down production. And so there we were, they literally shut down the show that afternoon, mid shoot, we're out filming on location. And I remember thinking to myself, I wasn't, I was in my early twenties and you know, wow, that was a, a shock. But if that hadn't happened, I probably would never have hopped on my roommate's U-Haul and driven to New York in the dead of night and started pursuing a career as a dancer. You just don't know what that temporary setback is going to look like down the road. And that temporary setback can sometimes be the thing that propels your next success or your next experience. Sure, it opens that door, that next door. Absolutely, it filled my mind with potential opportunities because to leave that great job, that would have been really hard and I don't know that I would have done it. You know, it was a wonderful, beautiful job. I, I really love that job. So would I have taken the leap had I had to leave that job? Well, the job left me. <laughs> and so mm-hmm. it made that decision a little bit a little bit easier. Natasha, in closing, Oprah describes her friendship with Gail King as one based on shared values, pride and joy, building dreams, standing in the gap, cheering, supporting, speaking the truth, being the truth, respect and regard. Friendships based on these attributes will create relationships which are solid, timeless, and last forever. You exhibit these attributes and through your passion for musical theater, dance, and storytelling, you share them with others. We are so grateful to you and so proud to call you a Kappa sister. Thank you for sharing some of yourself with us and for accepting the challenge to dream boldly and live fully. Thank you very much. Well, thank you. It's really a pleasure being here, and I enjoy engaging with Kappa Kappa Gamma since I was a college student all the way through to today. Thanks for listening to the Keynotes Podcast, a series of conversations with Kappas who dream boldly and live fully. Want more from Kappas Leading the Way? Follow Kappa Kappa Gamma on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn. Subscribe to Keynotes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you a fan of Kappa Podcasts? Then we'd love to hear from you. We'd really appreciate you leaving us a rating, review, or recommendation. These podcasts were made possible with the help of Beth Black, Lindsay Gale, Kaya Lim, and Susanna Teig, who assisted in scheduling the guests. Kristen Sanjeed and Maddie Sykes, who did the marketing, and Ryan Gannon and Marla Williams for their tech support. A special thank you to Ryan for his production expertise and for producing all five podcasts. 
It has been my pleasure to host the conversations with these extraordinary women.